Again, good to see you. I hope you got loaded up with some coffee. If you didn't, don't worry, I'll try and be brief. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I've said this before, but I think it's a really helpful way of remembering where Ephesians is. Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, okay? That's not meant to be a theological statement. It's meant to be a helpful reminder. But Ephesians chapter 1. And don't worry, if you don't have a Bible, it's going to come up on the screen in just a second. We'll be able to read through it. And we are going to go through a new series on the book of Ephesians over the next few weeks. And we're going to look at this uh, incredible letter. But I want to start this morning just by reading out a couple of verses from chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, would you open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to what you have to say. Lord, we are aware that we are being formed into an image, and we pray, Lord, you would help us be formed into your image. Come, Lord, speak to us, we pray, as we uh, look at what you have to say for us this morning. Amen. The latest research coming out of ICC here in Nairobi about um, the church culture in our city suggests that there are, are not 70% of people going to church on a Sunday. In fact, there aren't even 50. And I, I thought I would take 40%. Maybe at 25%, I would be worried. That their research, which is fairly comprehensive, suggests that around 8% of people in Nairobi go to church on any given Sunday should make us stop, sit up and take note, and be deeply concerned about what we're doing and the state of our city that 92% of people every Sunday are not part of a church. Or in the words of this book, it should make us weep over our city, cry out, God, where are you? And offer in every posture imaginable the prayer, Lord, we know of your deeds, we've heard of your fame. Would you renew them in our day? In your time, would you make them known? We must be really careful not to overlay on these statistics more than we need to. But also, at the same time, we've got to face these head on. This is the conversation I seem to be having with people from all over the globe. I don't know if this resonates with you. I believe in God, but I'm done with the church. I believe in God. In fact, I love God, but I am done with the church. Hearing this is nothing new to, to many Christians, but the staggering change in our moment is not that this is coming from hostile people on the outside who are going, I'm kind of okay with the God, but I don't like the church. This is coming from the faithful Christians who've been part of the church for a long time. 
And so often we kind of confuse what's going around with statistics like this. And we look at them and we confuse church attendance with a lack of belief in God. And thus we direct our efforts to convincing people that God is real. But if we had souls that wanted to listen, we would realize that often people are in no need of convincing. They're in need of knowing that they have a place in this story, that they are loved and they're needed. And this narrative is killing me. It's really hard. And I'm taking this and hearing this just as a a guide to you. And I know I, I work in a different space to many of you. But just as a guide, six conversations in the last week unprompted by me. And for half of it, I wasn't even at work. One of them was in in a pool in Nanuki, where I'm swimming with my kids. What do you do? I work for a church. Why? Good question. People saying to me, I'm trying to explain to my kids why we should go to church. And if I'm honest, I don't know. And it can be really easy to think perhaps the church is a bit dull, like a bit outdated. Perhaps we're the ones who've missed something. But here's the fascinating thing. Whilst it's easy to dismiss the church as irrelevant, and with a generation of people done, finished with it, not finished with God, but finished with the church, we must also look and see that fascinatingly, the vast majority of the New Testament Certainly the Jesus bit onwards serves one purpose, to encourage, challenge, and shape the church. The book that we turn to as Christians was written to the church. These are not documents to individuals. They're not to be taken as snippets of advice where we can individually ponder. They are words in season for a community of believers. community that wrestles through what it means to be God's people in a moment and in a place and in a culture and a season. And with this in mind, we come to this book and say, what in our moment, what as we wrestle with being the church do we see as being called to do? As I read through this book again and I looked at it, it was a moment so similar to ours that it was almost scary. And we see God's word being poured out to a community of believers. A community that wanted to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Ephesus stood as a city in the ancient world, as a city scarcely with comparison. It was known as the gateway to Asia, adorned with wealth, prosperity, bustling with culture and life. It can be easy to be, you know, a couple of millennia removed and think this was just some backwater. But it was the major port city of Asia at the time. Everything flowed through there. The theater stadium that they had there held 25,000 people. And at the heart of the city was the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Vast, not just in size, but its influence. Whilst the size was big, the shadows of it in the culture spread large. This temple was to Diana, the goddess of fertility. And the temple was adorned with like shrine prostitutes. And such was the influence that the temple, a sacrifice and pagan ritual, ruled the city. 
one his historian said, at times it was horrific to see discarded babies left by the side of the road. Sadly, not an uncommon sight. So where do we get to with this book? Well, this book is unlike a lot of other New Testament letters. It really towers high. It's, it's, it's big. Um, you know, Calvin said, if, if that Romans is the king of the letters, then Ephesians is the queen. This brings beauty. But rather than it just being random about the big things it talks about, it reaches out high to give us a vision. It lifts us up out of the nitty-gritty to look at what God is doing, has done, and will do, and to be able to marvel at it. One person uh, put it like this. It's like being lifted up uh, in a helicopter out of a city or something and be able to see the beauty around you. And that's lovely and nice. But this book is also dynamite. If we have the guts to take this seriously, we will change forever. This book was like a depth charge going off in the church. It wasn't meant to cuddle. It wasn't meant to wrap around. It was meant to ignite a revolution. It was saying that the way things are is not reflective of where Jesus wants to go. You need to know who you are and where you're going. And as we reflect on our church, in our moment, I think the same is true of us. Mark Sayers said this, continuing the same things that are not bringing renewal is not going to bring renewal. Lack of commitment is not going to bring renewal. Business as usual will not bring renewal. Accumulating knowledge without putting it into practice will not bring renewal. We need our autopilot's patterns interrupted. And so often interruption is not what we want. If any of you have been woken up by a small child before 7 o'clock or 5 o'clock in our house, you know how little interruption we want. So what is Paul saying just in these opening verses? Firstly this, this is a call back to a story. It's really fascinating how Paul introduces his story, says, I'm an apostle. That's my story of Christ Jesus by the will of God. But in there is an implicit introduction to the people he is writing to what their story would look like. I'm an apostle by God's will, but you are God's holy people in Christ Jesus. This is less of an introduction than a statement of intent. He's saying, are you up for this story? Are you up for the implications that come with what this means? The Christian life is a journey back to the story. We are in need of the story to shape our lives. Like we said last week, our narratives define our existence and help us make sense of the world around us. And in our time, what we feel at the heart, of, I think, of the Christian existence is this missing sense of story. You know, the church is dying out, not because it isn't cool, not because it isn't hip, and not because... It isn't serving great coffee. It's missing out because it's lost its story. Again, Mark Sayer says this, in the absence of story or foundation that gives hope or meaning, life has become a never-ending quest for pleasure and experience. Instead of being good, people want to feel good. But, but the danger is beyond this. It's not simply that uh, this is about 
are differentiated between Christians and non-Christians, this is something that could be equally leveled at the understanding of church experience. Instead of it being a place where we can offer ways to be more like Jesus in wholehearted Christian discipleship, we've made church a place that tries to keep up with the world in offering gentle platitudes, loving encouragements, reasonable entertainment value. You're welcome. Um, more Daniel, that, isn't it? Yeah. But whilst gently numbing out people of the very reason to which they were born. And if it wasn't bad enough that the church was offering this, we now have congregations searching for it. Oh, this, this church doesn't make me feel good. The worship this morning, oof, the coffee, less said about that, the better. What a mess. This is an invitation back to a story. That there is a story narrative that we're invited into. And then secondly, this. This is about a faithful remnant. To to these people, Paul reminds them that they are the faithful. The faithful in Christ Jesus. And the challenge of our time can be to think, I wonder, well, so what? Is what we're doing actually helpful? Am I actually doing anything useful? If you know anyone on our team, this is the question I ask of myself almost every Monday morning. Is what we're doing helping? No one seems to be turning back to Jesus. Richard Cokin in his Ephesians commentary said that we must remember that church is far more important to God than just a useful vehicle for collecting disciples. That there's something broader going on here in the life of the church. Something more than just a count, a number count, that is hoping to describe another life at another time. Or in other words, we're not just here so God can work out how many are going to heaven. And I think it's helpful Um, You know, God does care about people, but God cares more in the sense that this will come in time. There's something bigger going on than how many people can be dragged over the line. God comes to a people, not to peoples. He manifests his presence with Jesus in a place and not places. He's into something more personal. But out of this flows something wonderful. The key to this city turning to Jesus, I would humbly submit, is not through more mass crusades and altar calls, but through the faithful witness of the local church. And as we consider what is meant by faithful, it looks really different to what we've often thought. The word faithful here describes those who'd come to fully rely on Jesus as the Messiah. That's the implication in the text. And in a city like Ephesus, where wealth was to be had, where business boomed, but which had this tragic dark side, to say that Jesus is the only one is a huge statement. In a city like Nairobi, where wealth matters, where prestige matters, where who you are dating or who you're not dating, where what you look like matters, to say Jesus is everything is a big statement. I was speaking at a church leaders event, uh, it was last year, and I turned up on my, I had a little bike, I had a little scooter, it was great fun, I was 
petrified every time I got on it because I thought someone was going to hit me. But it was a lot of fun. And I turned up to speak at this event. And one of the pastors at this event saw me as I was walking in and said, if that's all you can drive, you must be a rubbish preacher. I'm not looking for affirmation to that, by the way. But what all to say, how our lens is so distorted. We're not in need of another generation of people who can chase what they want and put Jesus on the side as an add-on to what they're already doing. This was a deeply messy city, even a deeply messy church. Full of people who'd kind of got things wrong. But a faithful remnant is those who come to the end of themselves. Not pretending to be something they're not. I've got to be honest, at times I find the religious culture, I find myself in nauseating. Where unless, it doesn't matter what you actually do, you just have to look the right way. But a faithful remnant is those who are not looking to find themselves, but looking to get to the end of themselves. Prepared to give it all, risk-taking, daring, to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the thing, at its heart, the biblical faith is a creed of the anti-hero. Not the Marvel hero, the anti-hero. It's a story of men and women who come to the end of themselves and then discover God. Next is this. This is God's holy people in Ephesus. It's really easy to think about our, our, our walk with Jesus in isolation. And about the church in isolation. But as Paul addresses this letter, he's given them a reminder that they're situated in a place. And as we work through this letter and wrestle with who we are as a church, we must remember that we're doing so in the context of being called to a place. We can't do it in isolation from where we've been placed. We are called to be God's holy people in Nairobi. Place really matters. And I wonder what that could look like. Well, I, I think, firstly, it looks like being the countercultural revolution of Jesus starts here in our midst, in the spaces where we live and breathe. If the revolution of Jesus isn't starting in your offices on a Monday and in your families, in your communities, and in the way you drive, then something is going wrong. And I get those things wrong all the time. Ask my family how we drove to Nanuki this week. Secondly, it means by and large we shouldn't be looking um, for a space to have impact in, but recognize we already have a space to have impact in. Christians spend the vast majority of their time, in my observation, looking for a great place to serve rather than realize they're already planted in a great place to serve. Thirdly, that we're in need of seeking the best for our city. That God is not in need of, of holy people in church, but holy people in Nairobi. Where are we going tomorrow? What does that look like as you follow your rabbi Jesus? Fourthly this, it means that we cannot escape some of the realities around us, and nor should we try. In the midst of a broken, hurting, and often anti-Jesus culture, the overwhelming urge can be to, to retreat, to escape to get our children away from these things, to hide ourselves away. And whilst we 
we must take care not to simply be a part of these things. We're not called to be the light in the light. Our vision needs to be more than a, than a building with higher and fancier walls to keep out the bad of the world. Our vision needs to be becoming the kinds of people that offer a compelling counter-narrative to that of our world. Jesus himself found his places of ministry and work often not in the temples, but on the streets he walked, the houses he visited, among the hostile and the hurting, the accused and the vulnerable, the streets, the businesses, the communities. This is to be holy in the city. This is to be vessels through which God uses us to allow heaven to meet earth as his living temples. And then finally, we are a people in Christ. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. This is a phrase that even with kind of a cursory glance, you'll see scattered all over the New Testament, but particularly in Paul's letters, and most especially in Ephesians, that we are in Christ. In Christ is not a description of part of the journey. This is the journey. If you want to know what Christianity looks like, it looks like being in Christ. And the way that Paul describes this is not a matter of being good or bad. It's not about a matter of being faithful or unfaithful, useful or unuseful. He describes it as about being dead or alive. If we miss this, we miss it all. And this is why I think despite good human ideas all around the world, we see the world caving in on itself. Spiritual renewal, the way of Jesus, is what our world needs above all things. I think this is why so often we feel confused about our time. With so much advancement in human thinking, social justice movements everywhere we look, more charities and we can shake a big stick at, more compassion and justice than ever. Why does it feel like things go badly wrong? Because it's not in Christ. We need Jesus Christ to live the Christian life. And that's why as Paul begins this letter, it's with a reminder or a challenge for this to make sense, to be a people of the city, to be God's faithful people. You cannot do it outside the power of Jesus. It's like placing two beautiful cars identical to each other on a road that is leading somewhere good. Only one driver chooses to refuel and have fuel in it. And it doesn't matter how well the other vehicles designed, how beautiful it looks and how good the road ahead of it is. If you remove the fuel, you remove the ability to deliver. This book is about a brand new way to live, to see a city changed. But it begins and it flows through with a call to be in Christ. So how do we respond to this? I think there are two really brief things. Firstly this, God is not scared by this moment. God is not scared by the statistics, some of the things we see around us. God's not scared by it, but we do need to lean in. We need to be people willing to lean in. Guys, will you stand with me as we just respond?
as Paul prays later in this book, the prayer I read out earlier, so we'd know the knowledge, know the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. It's a fascinating phrase that we'd know something that surpasses knowledge. But this is the deep sense of God working in and through us. This is a daily turning to God again and again. Lord, would you come and invade our spaces? Would you come and fill us with all that you are? We're just going to take a moment just before God just to be quiet, to reflect who So maybe just open our hearts, maybe open our hands to, to receive from God. Lord, as we stand here, as we stand as a community, a faithful community, Lord, would you come and fill us by your spirit? Lord, as we do, we just wait on you, we ask. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we stand here as people crying out to you. Maybe we're crying out for this city. Maybe we're crying out for our kids, for our families. Lord, for those who resonate with the narrative of, I love God, but I'm done with the church, and we see them drifting. We see them actually far from you. Lord, we just begin to cry out for them now. We begin to just offer up our prayers to God now. Lord, would you hear the prayers of your people as we cry out for our city, for our family, for the places we find ourselves in. So as a church, why don't we just lift up our prayers where we are right now, for the spaces we find ourselves in.
for those of us who feel disconnected from the story. The arcing narrative of history that you invite us into. Lord, would you remind us of that? Would you remind us of our place in your story? The invitation, the arms of God thrown open wide for such as us. Lord, we just confess the times where we've done this in us or in other things, but are in Christ. Where we've chased after good things, but not in you. Lord, would you come fill us again. Help us to sit with you, to know you more and more. Everybody, so nice to see you, so glad you're here.